Coming up on today's edition of the Locked On Raiders podcast, it is all things Al Davis on this Independence Day and what would be his 94th birthday. That's right, all things Al Davis on this 4th of July Independence Day here on the Locked On Raiders podcast. Your Locked On Raiders, your daily podcast on the Las Vegas Just Raiders. Win. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, Just win. your team Just every win. day. Just win. Welcome in Raider Nation to another edition of the Locked On Raiders podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen of the day. Make sure you subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest edition of the show. Of course, if you're checking us out on YouTube, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. Whenever you can, however you can, we definitely appreciate that. We also appreciate my man Ari. Does a great job each and every day making sure we're up on YouTube, looking good, sounding good. He does the very best he can. He has to deal with me, so he's doing the very best he can. You can check him out on Twitter at Ari Produces. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well, at your boy Q254. And of course, we got the Locked On Raider podcast voicemail line that normally, nine times out of ten, it's wide open like some old school TV antennas. Won't have any calls or texts today, but you can keep the number handy anyway. 707-654-4693. And the reason why we won't have any calls or texts today is because we're having a show. It's a throwback show. I do it each and every 4th of July ever since I've taken over doing the Locked On Raiders podcast. And as the show has continued to grow, I want to make sure I continue to bring it back each and every 4th of July. And again, it's a tribute to the late, great Al Davis, who would be 94 today as he was born on the 4th of July and, of course, passed away in 2011. But John Kingdon, I did an interview when I was on ESPN Central Texas, did a really lengthy interview with John Kingdon, co-author of Behind the Shield, the book of the life and times of Al Davis. Originally, this interview was recorded in 2019, and it was when he was kind of on a tour to promote the book Behind the Shield. And so I got an opportunity to catch up with him in 2019, and I've ran this interview each and every year. Now, next year, Maybe I'll go ahead and catch up with John Kingdon or someone else and do another interview that has to do with Al Davis and make sure we run it on the 4th of July. But again, I think it's a nice little tip of the cap to the late, great Al Davis, and especially here on the Locked On Podcast Network, where a show today is actually not required since it's a holiday. And just like a lot of people are off work, uh, the network gives us the day off as well. But again, because Al Davis was born on the 4th of July, I like to have this show at the very least out there. So if you're sitting around, maybe you're barbecuing, maybe you got some family around, and you want to have some entertainment, there's nothing on TV, uh, you've already watched the hot dog eating contest, and you don't really want to watch any of the sports that are on there, uh, music's not what you want to hear, maybe you want to pop in the podcast and hear about Al Davis. So, today's episode of the Lockdown Raiders podcast, before we get to any of that, is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. They help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Of course, I'll tell you a lot more about them. Following segment number one, after we get into part one of the conversation with John Kingdom, but before we even do that, I did want to give an update on former Raiders tight end Foster Morrow. He is a guy that uh, found out he has Hodgkin lymphoma and he tweeted out on Monday after a few tumultuous months. I've been blessed with the news that I am in full remission from Hodgkin lymphoma. I'm so grateful to everyone who reached out to offer their love and support. Our prayers were answered. For here, I will from here, I'll continue to live my life 
as God intended. Again, that's for Foster Morrow, former Raider tight end, now with the New Orleans Saints. And again, it was because of that free agent visit to the Saints, he even found out about the Hodgkin lymphoma to begin with. So thank God for that. And also thank God that he's in where the state that he's in right now, a full remission. He gets to continue with his uh, NFL career. And, you know, obviously it's a big time challenge that he's still got to continue to face and battle each and every day. But if I know Foster, like I know Foster, and I'm not trying to say he's my best friend, but I know him well enough to know that he's going to fight and claw and kick that thing in the butt as he's been doing. So shout out to Foster Morrow, full remission from Hodgkin lymphoma. Not only is Raider Nation cheering on Foster, but so is the NFL world. So again, shout out to Foster Morrow for that. Now it's time to jump into part one of my conversation with longtime Raider scout and running buddy Al Davis, John Kingdon, as we talk all things life and times of Al Davis as on what would be his now 94th birthday as of the 4th of July in 2023. Joining me now on the phone line to talk the late great Al Davis is John Kingdon, the co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield. And John, it's been a few years since the last time I talked to you, but with the 4th of July here, we obviously celebrate the great nation that we live in, but we also celebrate the greatness of the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who had the vision of the Raiders. That's Al Davis. It's his birthday as well. As a guy who was close and has so many stories about Al, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when his birthday rolls around each and every year? Well, I always think that, uh, you know, it's the one day of the year we really got off, and the joke around the office was that uh, we're getting that July 4th off because it's Al's birthday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that always worked. I still sent him, uh, we had a clipping service, and I always made it a point to still send him uh, those uh, articles that day as well. But, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a genuine experience. It was certainly a very key part of my life. I was there uh, 33 years, and uh, I just uh, right off the top of my head, I'm, I'm 66 now, so I really spent uh, basically half my life uh, with the Raiders and, and working under Al Davis. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a genuine experience. Uh, you know, just every day was a challenge. Uh, you know, he always had a lot of ideas, and he always wanted to... Uh, it was a battle to keep up with them, and but you know the longer you worked there, the more you learned how to anticipate what he was looking for. And if sometimes he asked me a question I didn't have the answer for about a player, well, I always knew uh, he was going to ask that question in the future about all the other players. So I think he appreciated that aspect. Uh, of, of the way I worked with him. You mentioned how every day is a challenge. You knew it was going to be a battle, good or bad. It really didn't matter. But in your opinion, what was it about him? What what made him tick? What made him be so special and, and be that guy that you know was going to make a challenge each and every day? Well, he, he took a, a great deal of pride in, in what he did. He always wanted to be successful. And, uh, you know, although he, he did keep up on, on a lot of the, a lot of things around the world, the polit- political situation, uh, other sports. Uh, he loved uh, uh, women's basketball, particularly the colleges. But uh, this football was his life. It was 24-7. And, uh, and there was nothing that he was going to overlook. He, he kept up on every little detail. And, uh, and you knew, uh, it didn't take you very long to know that you know that if if if, uh, uh, if he asked, he had like a lawyer's mentality. If he asked you the question, he basically more often than not knew what the answer was going to be. And and when we had new coaches coming in, I would sit down with them, and that's the one thing I would tell them. I'd say, look, if he asks you a question, you don't know the answer. Don't make up something up, because again, he probably knows what the answer is, 
and he'll catch you on that. And if you don't know the answer, then, you know, make sure that you'll know it the next time. But it's better to admit you don't know something than make something up and really get caught. Uh, by him in that regard. Yeah, it's, so, so it's one of those scenarios, almost like when your parents used to say, they used to ask you a question, but they already knew the answer. My mom used to tell me that all the time. I don't ask questions to you that I don't already know the answer. It was the same thing with Al. Well, again, it, it, like your mother, I guess the way I always heard it was a, uh, it, the lawyers were always told, don't ask a question unless you know <laughs> what the answer is going to be. And uh, again, that was, uh, that was that was kind of fun. It was like, well, you know, it was kind of fun also to. Uh, it was a challenge when you could kind of beat him sometimes, right. and convince him uh, otherwise of what his opinion was going into an argument. And, uh, more often than not, he would say, oh, "Okay," and hang up quickly and. Uh, not let you kind of bask in the, uh, in the in that uh, small victory. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. The Raiders, they just announced the 60th season, the commemorative logo celebrating 60 years of Raider football. And there's players that come and go from team to team, especially nowadays with free agency. But every time I hear a player talk about putting on that silver and black, putting on that helmet, putting on those colors, it was just different. What made it so much different putting on those colors than it did putting on someone else, some other team in the league? Well, I think uh, we had an owner, again, that, uh, at, at, that there was probably only one other owner, uh, Paul Brown in Cincinnati, that had experience as a coach, uh, in coaching experience besides being an owner. But I think Al was, was also really a, a people person. I mean, he loved the players, and the players realized that. Uh, and uh, he took great pleasure in taking players that hadn't been successful in other, uh, with other teams and would bring him here, and he would give him space and give him time to uh, to learn and, and, and kind of give him a chance to, you know, show the way we were doing things, particularly when we were successful. And, you know, it was like uh, just there were so many examples of it. Just one, Ethan Horton was a, uh, you know, his number one pick running back out of North Carolina by the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and really a good guy. And Al loved projecting guys to different positions. In fact, I have a whole chapter in the, in the book about, uh, you know, the success Al had in, in moving guys to other spots. And Ethan Horton came in, we made him a tight end, and uh, he made the Pro Bowl. Uh, so it was, it was things like that. Raymond Chester, you know, was a wingback, actually, at Morgan State. Uh, and, and I think he also had a, a great feeling. He was way ahead of his, his time and other teams regarding minorities. Right. Uh, he was very much uh, uh, in support of that. And, and, and a lot of it was the AFL as well. But but he uh, he and the AFL were, were you know were, were again were were at the forefront of drafting uh, players from the predominantly black colleges, uh, you know the Willie Browns and Art Shell at Maryland Eastern Shore. And, although Willie uh, was out of Grambling, but he had traded for him uh, with the Broncos. Uh, but but we had great great success uh, uh, players in that regard. Again, the, the Chiefs were another team that had you know great success in that regard. Willie Lanier. And uh, Buck Buchanan and, and Ernie Ladd, people like that. So I think the players appreciated uh, how much he cared for them, uh, number one. And then, number two, uh, they were always impressed at, at how much he knew. You know, I would talk to players that we would, you know, we would bring in players, and, uh, and, uh, and then I, you know, after they were finished with Al, I said, you know, how'd it go? I said, he knew every play I played on the strong side, on the weak side, <laughs> in this game two years ago. And, and they, they they just walked out of those rooms feeling really impressed and, and the idea you know I'd like to play for this guy and uh, and that pretty much kind of set the pattern and I think it, it was such a strong uh, 
you know, had such a great run from when he came in from 63, you know, right up until, uh, you know, after that last Super Bowl, that even though we had, you know, pretty much uh, his last 10 years were not good, uh, I think still his uh, his influence and his uh, effect on the organization still uh, carries with, uh, you know, the commitment to excellence, silver and black, you know, things like that. And I think the uh, it carried on old for the, not only for the, uh, players, but for the fans as well. I'll tell you right now, I know you can't see me, but I just got a smile on my face just listening to these stories. I mean, just listening about the man. It's just, it's really incredible. I love it. I'm talking right now to John Kingdon, the co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield, and and that's whose life we're celebrating right now at his, uh, his birthday is right here upon us. And uh, the great Gil Brand, and I know that Al had a really good relationship with uh, the Cowboys, the ownership at the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, but the great Gil Brand, he's going into the Hall of Fame this year. He always talks really highly about Al. One, how proud do you think Al would be to see his buddy Gil go into the Hall of Fame, and really, they kind of or, or Gil learned a lot from Al, as, as far as I'm understanding as well. Is that true? Uh, I know they communicated a, a great deal, and I used to at the combine. Uh, you know, Al used to always sit by the uh, the starting line. He always liked to see the way guys would start, and Gil would oftentimes, not oftentimes, but a lot, go down there and sit next to Al, and they'd be sharing ideas and such. And, uh, you know, Gil was, was nice enough to write the uh, introduction uh, to our book, and mm-hmm. so I was certainly very pleased at, uh, at Gil going in there as well. But, you know, Al was very, the other guy that Al was very close with, ironically, was, was Jerry Jones. Right. And, uh, y- you know, it was a story where we were going to trade, uh, we wanted to trade up in the second round uh, to get Steve Wisniewski. And Al was talking with, with Jerry about it, you know, what we're going to give back and forth. And, and the Cowboys' time on the clock was running out. And, and Al just said to Jerry, Jerry, why don't you just take Steve and, and we'll work out the details. And, and, and he did, you know. And then we ended up trading a second and a fourth uh, for Wisniewski. And it worked out both ways because the Cowboys got uh, Moose Johnston, right. uh, who turned out to be a really good player at the fourth round player was a guy that didn't make it, but that's neither here nor there. But I just, the one thing I always remembered off of that story after we completed the trade to get Steve, and Al said, you know, Jerry is the only guy that I would have trusted uh, to, 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 to select Steve and then trade him to us after uh, he drafted him. So so that was just a, you know, a really indication of how close they were. And, uh, you know, it was always, you know, a lot of times, again, you know, Al always talked about don't talk to anyone, keep everything under your hat, don't talk to people. And I think the one guy that Al did talk to was Jerry Jones. And just an example, when uh, the year Orlando McClain came out, actually our best linebacker was Sean Lee out of uh, Penn State. Okay. And, you know, though, you know, it was what I think the uh, 12th pick. And, and Sean had had a major knee injury that year, so you really couldn't take him that high. And we said, let's trade down, get a few picks, and take him either late in the first or early in the second. And, and Al was kind of enamored with the uh, workout numbers of McLean. And, and then who, 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 does, uh, who takes Sean Lee in the second round? But uh, <laughs> Jerry Jones. So, you know, we all kind of look at each other and say, yeah, I wonder how come Jerry liked him so much, you know, even with that knee injury. Uh, so I think that was just another indication of how, how much uh, Al, Al enjoyed Jerry. Yeah, and, and I remember you telling a story about the time when uh, Al was at at that time Valley Ranch, and he was actually wearing cowboy gear because he was working out. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to. And, and my great regret, this was before uh, cell phones. <laughs> and, you know, the Combine was actually held in uh, Dallas that year. There were three different Combines. 
And uh, I think there were five different teams there, the Cowboys, Seattle, uh, the Cardinals, and uh, Buffalo and us. And, uh, you know, and Al wanted to – Al liked working out, actually. It was, uh, he liked running and such. And uh, everyone had left, and uh, Buck Buchanan was the, uh, was the equipment manager there. And, uh, and Buck came out and brought, uh, you know, Al workout gear. And uh, it was just was such a, almost a contradiction in terms to see Al wearing Dallas Cowboy gear. And, <laughs> and again, I would have loved to, you know, again, we didn't have phones with, with uh, cameras in it. But that would have been a, a, a price, a picture that I probably could have sold right now for a lot of money. So that was part one of my conversation right there with John Kingdon talking all things Al Davis. And uh, hopefully you're enjoying this conversation, especially if it's the first time that you heard it. Really good stuff. Lengthy conversation, about 30-plus minutes. I did this interview when I was on ESPN Central Texas. It goes back all the way to 2019. So it's a throwback. It's an oldie, but it's a good goodie as far as I'm concerned. And you'll hear part two of that conversation coming up after I tell you about the title sponsor of the show, which is LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs help you find the right people for your team faster and for free. And I'll tell you right now, hiring could be a challenge. You know, me being the program director at uh, Las Vegas Sports Network, Lotus Broadcasting, we've gone through the hiring process a few times, and sometimes the person looks like a really good candidate only to find out that they're not. Well, LinkedIn Jobs will help you get through that quicker, faster, and stronger. All you got to do is post your job for free at LinkedIn Jobs and add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and who you'd like to hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires for its leading competitors. Right now, LinkedIn Jobs will help you find that qualified candidate you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Your Locked On Raiders, your daily podcast on the Las Vegas Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. All right, Raider Nation, here we go. Part two of my conversation with John Kingdon, 30-year-plus scout for the Raiders. He was a guy that was a longtime running buddy of the late, great Al Davis. Obviously, he's got plenty of stories, co-author of Behind the Shield. This interview goes back to 2019 when I was part of ESPN Central Texas when I recorded this interview, and hopefully it's still as good as it was then as far as I'm concerned. Not my greatest work, but still uh, was able to bring this conversation and bring all this information stories about Al Davis and I really thought it was really good stuff from John Kingdon so let's get into part two of the conversation where he starts off talking about Raider Nation and what the fan base the most notorious fans mean and meant to Al Davis oh he, he took such uh, pride in that and uh, wherever we went uh, uh, it, there was actually two groups with uh, when we were uh, coming into uh, uh, cities you know on, on road games and I think he took as much pride in the player, in the fans, so many of them meeting us uh, as we were coming into the hotel. But I think he took just as much pride in getting booed heartily as they walked <laughs> onto the field. Uh, just I think he saw that as really uh, more of a sign of respect uh, for what he had put together. Uh, he just had such great uh, love that, uh, you know, oh, look at that sober and black. You know, I'd be walking along with him. It was... It was uh, <laughs> It was something he loved those colors. You know, he got the black, uh, the colors from uh, West Point, 
uh, he, you know, that's, that's originally where he came up with those uh, colors. Right, absolutely. That, that's that's really, really cool. How would you describe to a fan that has never seen the Raiders as a successful franchise? I mean, I was I was born in 76, so I remember the Super Bowl in 83, but I wasn't, I wasn't locked in at that point. You know, I wasn't all about it. I wasn't a, a fanatic. I wasn't crazy at that point. But as, it, as some fans are really young, have not seen the, the Raiders successful, what would you tell them? What does it mean to be a Raider? What does commitment to excellence or just win, baby, mean to those that have not experienced that yet? Well, it's kind of hard to sell it when you know they've had such a bad run. You know, right. they, uh, you know after you know Mark took over, they thought they made a fairly poor decision in hiring Reggie, and that kind of bombed out with a thirty-five percent uh, winning percentage. But I think when the teams were were really good. Uh, we, we just had a combination of, uh, of, of like three factors. One was size, uh, one was speed, and one was toughness. And, and maybe there's even a fourth factor, which was pride. Mm-hmm. I think the players took a, a great deal of pride. They all looked out for each other and such. And, you know, I'm kind of excited. I think they've done a nice job. One, in, uh, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Coach Gruden. Okay. You know, we wrote two chapters on him and uh, probably could have written about two more. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, Greg Papa, who they unfortunately let go of, was a great, great uh, play-by-play guy with the Warriors. I'm sorry, with the well, he did the Warriors too, but mm-hmm. with the Raiders, and he's actually going to be the play-by-play guy with the 49ers this year. Uh, but uh, and anyway, he made a great comment when they brought Mayock in uh, instead of Reggie McKenzie, and he said, you know, Mayock's got all the energy, he's got all the focus. And, uh, you know, and it's a good match with John Gruden, whereas, uh, you know, Reggie McKenzie, it would take him 10 minutes to get out of his chair. <laughs> so I think they're, they're pointing in the right direction. They, they hired, uh, they got a, a really good director of scouting now, Jimmy Abrams, who at uh, one point did scout, I mean, say came over from the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and uh, is really a good scout. And they also got Walter Juliff, who had been with the Cowboys for a number of years. So I think they're 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 pointed in the right direction uh, that way. Do you feel, or did did Al ever say anything about trading John Gruden after that Tuck Rule game? Uh, as far as that being one of his biggest mistakes that he ever made as an owner, uh, he was he was not uh, easy on admitting mistakes. Uh, <laughs> Understood. He, 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 uh, no, well, no one was going to you know confront him on it either. Right. Uh, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that he did. And again, part of. You know, and it wasn't one of the things I, I could interview him about or talk to him about. I mean, just because I spoke up against us, I, I couldn't believe he was doing it. And in, in retrospect, I, I think of every so often, I think of what I should have said to him uh, to really convince him not to not to do this. But but we had a chapter, uh, you know, the three guys that he really had problems with publicly were, uh, were uh, Kenny Stabler, Marcus Allen, and, and John Gruden. And those three have become the face of the organization. And I think it really bothered him. Uh, you know, I never confronted him on it, but, but I think that's, uh, that's pretty much a, uh, uh, that's the coincidence, not the, the similarity in, in those three guys having issues with Al. You know, it's funny because I did a show one time and that was one of the topics, you know, if you could sit down and talk to Al Davis and ask him anything without getting in trouble for asking him, what would it be? And the majority of the answers were, what happened between you and Marcus Allen? I think that's the biggest question that is out there for Raider Nation. Well, you know, he was, uh, first of all, Marcus was great. I mean, he was truly one of my favorite uh, people. He was, I always thought he was the most complete running back uh, in the in National Football League history. Yeah. Uh, the one thing he didn't have was true breakaway speed, but he had breakaway speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he could pass. He was a great blocker. Uh, he, he could break the long run because he was one of those guys that could cut 
at full speed without losing any speed. He was a great receiver. Uh, again, through through great option passes, did everything, and he was just uh, an amazing leader and competitive guy. And uh, and and uh, and when Al kept bringing in people to kind of uh, replace him, whether it was Eric Dickerson or Roger Craig or even you know drafting someone like a Vance Mueller, which you know just made no sense. It, it got Marcus so just so frustrated that uh, you know I didn't recall when Marcus went on. Uh, national TV with Al Michaels. I think they were still on ABC. And he just said, this guy's trying to kill my career. And, uh, and then they just, Al, you know, never forgave that as well. And I know that Marcus even made overtures. Uh, I believe the story was at the Hall of Fame when Marcus approached Al, you know, and Al says, I'm not ready to forgive you yet, which uh, I, I didn't, I thought I was very disappointed in that. Uh, so, you know, it was really the one thing that kind of Al was looking sort of for an excuse uh, to kind of replace Marcus or to blame Marcus. And, you know, you probably won't remember, you know, this is, you really got to be into the Raiders. This was 1986. Okay. Uh, we were, we started off the year, lost four games. Uh, I lost our first uh, three games, rather. We won our next five, and then we were uh, uh, lost, uh, we lost the game, and then we won our next three. So we're eight and four. And uh, we're playing the Eagles at home, and it, it goes into uh, uh, overtime. And, uh, you know, we're close enough in field goal range, and we just got to run a couple of plays, and Chris Bars or, or Jeff Diego is going to kick the field goal. And Marcus uh, is so competitive, uh, he tries to make the cut, and the ball pops out of his air, and the Eagle guy picks it up and takes it down to the one, and Cunningham uh, uh, scores on the next play. And then we lose our next three games. We end up eight and eight and miss the playoffs. And, and I think Al, uh, that always bothered him as well. Uh, that one thing about the fumble. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I forgot about that in the book. I would have put that in there, but I thought that was uh, that really always bothered him uh, and used that as an excuse to kind of look to replace Marcus. And, and, then, and it's just unfortunate because he was he was great and obviously well deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then it's worse that he goes to the Kansas City Chiefs and ends up scoring a historic touchdown number one hundred against the Raiders. I mean, that had to bother Al as well. Uh, I, I wouldn't doubt it, and I, I have to admit I sort of had mixed feelings about it. Uh, it wasn't like he scored and that cost us the game. Right. It wasn't a particularly close game uh, for them. So uh, internally, I was kind of happy for Marcus. But this is probably the first time I've actually said that in public. <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, I love Marcus. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not mad at you. Breaking news here. It's all good. If Al Davis were alive today, in your opinion, would he be happy? Would he be thrilled that John Gruden was back as the head coach of the team right now? Uh, yeah. You know, I I like to think so. You know, we had a, you know, and that was one of the things. You know, we had a good run. You know, with with uh, John Roush and then to John Madden and the Tom Flores. And then, you know, we had a, a bad run of coaches there, mm-hmm. you know, from, uh, uh, well, Shanahan was unfortunate. I think he would have been a good coach, but Al just didn't like all the changes he made. And, you know, and Art wasn't very good. And then Mike White was, was terrible. And Joe Bugle was the right man at the wrong time. I think uh, he was he would have been better suited in the 60s and 70s because, you know, the tail was wagging the dog at that point. And then John came in. Right. And I don't think Al really realized what he had with John. I think he saw someone that, you know, that that he could uh, kind of, I wouldn't say manipulate, but, you know, he would be sort of, uh, would listen to everything that Al. And he didn't realize this guy was a younger version of Al that worked uh, 
just as hard as I'll ever work and knew just as much as I'll knew in this regard. You know, and then you get rid of him and, you know, went from Bill Callahan uh, to Norv and then bringing Art back again was, uh, you know, a 2-14 and 14 year. And then Kiffin to Cable and Hugh Jackson at least started playing coaching well. And then, you know, Reggie gets rid of him and brings in Dennis Allen. And, uh, you know, so it, it was quite a, a bad run. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, like I said, I think they're doing well. And John, you know, even though they had a bad year, you hear John talk now. He's a, such a charismatic mm-hmm. uh leader you know the fans are just so excited about it and i think they've done a, a really good job of giving uh all the tools to uh Derek carr that are necessary with the offensive line the receivers a running back you know i, I think the offense is going to be uh, pretty impressive this year and with with that being said i'm glad you mentioned Derek carr do you feel like Derek carr is the quarterback that could take this franchise from you know obviously they had the good season in 2016 but that was 2016 uh, it's been rough going since then but do you think he's that guy that could take the the franchise with john gruden's help obviously and lead him far into the future well, I you know I was so terribly impressed. Uh, you know, if they hadn't drafted him in the second round, you know, I always say the you know the most valuable player that year for the Raiders was Ray Farmer. And they said, well, why is Ray Farmer survival? It's because he was the guy that drafted uh, Johnny Manziel instead of Derek Carr in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Raiders don't get Carr. You know, it, it really was going to be a disaster under under Reggie. Uh, I think the one thing that's uh, It'll be working in Derek's favor that's really worked against him. I think this is the first time he's had the same coordinator two years in a row. Right. And that just can't be easy to go from one to the other to the other to the other. And the other thing I think that uh, John uh, brings to Derek is uh, I think, you know, just, you know, again, I was on the outside, but Derek was almost too nice a guy. You know, oh, it's all my fault. Oh, put it all on me. Blah, blah, blah. I think he, you know, John needed to make him more of a Rich Gannon guy. Who, if a guy misses a uh, an audible pickup, Gannon would chew him out. If a guy ran the wrong kind of get, Gannon wouldn't take any crap from the players. And I think the uh, he brought out the best. And I think that's what John is gonna. I think that's what John's putting more into uh, Derek is is more of a you know kind of a tough leadership, uh, you know, sort of a tough love kind of quarterback that uh, should work in in, uh, in Derek's favor that way. There is part two of the conversation right there with John Kingdon, co-author of Behind the Shield, talking all things Al Davis, 4th of July. This would be his 94th birthday each and every year. I like to pay tribute and tip the cap to the late, great Al Davis. Coming up in part three, you'll hear the final part of the conversation with John Kingdon. We'll talk about, well, Al Davis stories, as you can imagine, as we close things out here on the Locked On Raiders podcast. Your Locked On Raiders, your daily podcast on the Las Vegas Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here we go, Raider Nation, part three of the conversation with John Kingdon, co-author of Behind the Shield. We're ready to close out this podcast strong on this 4th of July. Hopefully everyone's uh, understanding what the 4th of July is all about. Make sure to uh, pay honor to the country and respect the country for everything that you know we're able to do, allowing knuckleheads like me to be able to have, be in this position where I can uh, talk about the Raiders and, and, and have a conversation with John Kingdon and talk about Al Davis, right? It's the independence that we have in this country, and that's what today is Independence Day, and it also would be Al Davis's 94th birthday. So with that being said, let's jump into part three of the conversation with John Kingdon, co-author of Behind the Shield, where I start off asking John about, well, his best Al Davis stories. Here he is, John Kingdon, sharing his stories. Uh, you know, I kind of 
got to see him uh, on a more human side uh, than than most people would. Uh, uh, you know, I, well, you know, it's, I, I was going to say about uh, going into a uh, a fat burger out here. I, I wrote about that in the book. It was uh, you know, he really liked fast food. And, uh, you know, I, I picked him up at the airport. I was going to drop him off at uh, his place in Marina Del Rey. And says, yeah, I'd kind of like to get uh, something to eat now. You know, it'd be okay, you know, anything around here. I said, well, there's a place called Fat Burger down the road. Yeah, let's try that. Uh, I'd like to try that. So we walk in the store. Uh, the rest, you know, it's a fast food place, uh, big in L.A. And, and we walk in, and the guy says, gee, Mr. Davis, back so soon? Was that three times this week? <laughs> And I kind of look at him, and, and for the only time in my life, uh, he looks sheepish. <laughs> you know, he says, "God, I love this place." You know, which is uh, why you know why was he so embarrassed? But I think my favorite time, uh, you know, our scouting department was made up of uh, besides uh, Bruce and myself, was uh, made up of players, uh, former players. Kent McClellan was, was a great scout, and uh, Danny Connors, you know, great player. Angie Coria uh, was a guy that played uh, for Al at the Citadel. And then when Al uh, got booted out of there for recruiting violations, he followed Al to USC, and and he was he was really a good scout. And then we had Mickey, who was uh, uh, certainly a better player than scout. But but uh, uh, he he loved when these guys would come. We would come in in December and and meet uh, and then go to the game. Uh, those guys, I, I lived in the area, and all those guys would come in. We would meet for for a week and go over the whole drift. And Al would come in. And he would just start telling stories about Kent McClellan. And, you know, oh, Kent thought he was going to be a safety here. And when he started walking out there, he said, hey, get over there to corner. You know, and he would laugh, and Kent would laugh about it. He'd talk about Angie Coria, how great a player he was. And then I remember Bruce Allen, uh, you know, who was working as an executive, you know, came up. So he said, I wish the scouts were here all the time because Al is always the happiest when you guys are meeting and, and those uh, former players are, are in the room with him. So. Uh, I think that was something he always, uh, you know, he never forgot the players. He loved those guys. He loved bringing them into uh, uh, to his uh, annual. His, every five years, he'd celebrate his birthday in Vegas. And uh, when Gene uh, uh, Upshaw passed away and uh, George Blanda passed away, he he flew in every player that ever knew. Uh, those guys had any connection and had great uh, memories and celebration of those guys. So I think it was his love of all the players that uh, that he ever coached or uh, you know were on the team when he was owning it. I think that's probably the strongest thing I could say about him. A lot of Raider Nation, uh, all of Raider Nation loves Amy Trask for everything that she is, all her football knowledge, uh, obviously being the uh, the princess of, of darkness is what a lot of people call her, being the CEO, the first female C- CEO of the Raiders. Uh, what was that relationship like? What was the relationship like between Amy Trask and Al Davis? Well, I was, you know, she was uh, pretty much all on the executive side, and I was on the uh, personnel side, so... You know, we didn't uh, do do too much, but I think uh, you know he kind of liked uh, that. She, I think uh, you know from seeing the thing, she 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 wasn't afraid to challenge him mm-hmm. uh, and to uh, you know to kind of uh, take him on, on on legal issues and such. But uh, you know, again, she had you know nothing to do on personnel, but uh, but he always uh, spoke very highly of her, and uh, you know, I remember some people kind of bad mouthed her in the organization, and he was. Uh, uh, he snapped at those people. He said, "Don't ever say anything bad about Amy." Alexa, off. But uh, so, just you know, my you know, just this is just kind of an odd 
story of you at the time was I'm on the training camp and uh, and this was you know one of the few times I was really dealing with her. There was these uh, our training camps were closed and there were these uh, two Chinese women uh, that were there and I just asked uh, you know what they were doing uh, and they said oh they were playing basketball from Ch- they're from China and they're playing on the uh, Sacramento women's team so. My my sister in law is Chinese, and she was she taught me about ten things to say, and so so I was walking by them there by the exit after practice, and I go Ni Hao Wu Hong Gao Xian Ken Downey, and I get a double take like what the heck is? <laughs> I, I basically said hello, it's very nice to meet you, and and then they just prattle on. I got no idea what they're saying, and I just you know I went on for like ten minutes with a few things I said, and. uh and then I, I closed with the shay shay ni wa aini ajajan, which thank you, I love you, and goodbye. And they're laughing and laughing. <laughs> so evidently Amy was watching this, and she went over to them and, you know, said, oh, you were talking with John King. And what were you saying? Oh, he was speaking Chinese. Really? Oh, yes, he was fluent. I mean, they were so polite, which I was not at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the next day she sent someone up to me and uh, said, uh, Amy told me how you're fluent in Chinese and uh we have to have you run our Chinese website. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I just said, look, if you want me to phonetically write, thank you, I love you, and goodbye in Chinese. But uh, I don't think that would do it. But for some reason, she never, and I always thought it was funny and an honest kind of thing. It was something that worth laughing about. But she never, uh, you know, after the person went back and told her that, you know, I wasn't the guy to do it, she never acknowledged it. I had always, uh, always found that kind of funny. That is hilarious. Yeah, it was kind of funny. But she, like I said, she and Al seemed to, you know, Al seemed to respect her a lot and uh, never put up with anyone saying anything negative about her. And, you know, if I brought uh, 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 stories uh, to him, and, they were, you know, the press was kind of hard on her. He, he would get upset about that. And uh, I just one other real quick one was kind of funny was, you know, Amy always talks, if you ever see her Twitter, she shows Al, uh, shaking hands with a guy dressed up as Darth Vader, you know, in, in her Twitter stuff, something. And, and that reminded me uh, one time, I was, it was, I think, Sports Illustrated, not Sports Illustrated, excuse me, Rolling Stone had, had ranked all the owners in the league, and Tex Ram was number one, and Al was number two, and the comment on Al was, uh, as all the instincts of Darth Vader. So I, so I brought it over to him, and he starts looking at it, and he goes, who's Darth Vader? He's <laughs> the uh, character in the Star Wars movie right. that epitomizes evil, and I was kind of curious. That he kind of looked at me and goes, "That's pretty good, huh?" <laughs> I said, "Okay." That, that's funny. <laughs> so I forgot. I was. I was. I always got a kick out of that story, and uh, I, I forgot to put that in the book. I thought that was pretty funny too. No, it it really <laughs> is. It, it really is. Final question for you: What is this final season in Oakland? What is that going to mean to you? Uh, well, you know, the fact that when I moved up here it was Oakland, and we went down to LA, and we came back here to Oakland. Uh, yeah, I think the league is kind of sticking it to the uh, team uh, a little bit. Uh, I don't think on, on, on a couple for a couple of reasons, you know, I, you know, when Mark kept saying, well, we're going to play with the 49ers, say, no, we're going to play in San Francisco. No, maybe we'll play in Birmingham or maybe we'll go to Fresno. I think the league really got upset about it. And I think they set it up last year for the team, uh, you know, to kind of make a, a, a final goodbye with the last home game of the year last year was against Denver. And, and the crowd went crazy and they beat the Broncos. And, you know, and this year, 
you know, they got this crazy schedule. I don't know if you, if you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they got two games at home, and then they don't play at home for like seven weeks. Uh, they got two road games, and they got a home game in London, and then they got, uh, uh, I think, two more road games, and they got a buy the buy after the London game, and two more road games, and they come back here, and then the last game, uh, the last home game of the year is against Jacksonville, which is you know nothing not a particularly historic uh, matchup. Uh, you know, so it's not like they've moved, but you know, Oakland should have been uh, like the Steelers. You know, it's a blue-collar town, and they gave them the stadium. And, and, I, and I really blame the people in Oakland, you know, way back in 1980 that, that had the opportunity to give them a good stadium that was appropriate, you know, for a professional team. And uh, and they just, uh, you know, when I said, Roselle said, you don't have to do it. They can't move. And, uh, you know, and Al proved them, uh, you know, that he was right. <laughs> right. I'm going to leave. And uh, so I think... You know that to me. When I look back on that, I think that's really the uh, the sad part because it should have been uh, we should have never left Oakland. We never had to leave Oakland. Let me put it that way. And uh, you know, in the stadium, even when he came back, was just uh, you know kind of putting a, a ribbon on a pig kind of thing. It just uh, just wasn't wasn't good. Just throwing good money after bad, and uh, and uh, so so I blame you know I, I think back to those people in uh, you know eighty eighty one. Uh, uh, when the team finally left in '82, even though remember, uh, I don't know, '82, we we we've actually practiced up here all year and flew back, flew down every home game. Mm-hmm. That was Marcus's rookie year. We were actually eight and one the whole season. It was a strike year, so that traveling back and forth never hurt. That's John Kingdon right there, co-author of Al Davis Behind the Shield. If you have not got it, it's uh, available on book. It's available on audio. I mean, you just got to get it. It's been out for a minute, but if you haven't got it, definitely go get it. John, I appreciate your time so much. These stories are great. We could probably talk for hours on on top of hours about Al and the Raiders, but uh, as we celebrate uh, his, his birthday, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much, my man. It was great. I just real if you just keep mentioning it, it's on Amazon. That's really the only place uh, you can get the book. And you said Kindle and Audible and and hardcover and it's it's we've had a lot of i appreciate how much you you enjoyed it and i, I truly enjoyed uh again talking about al uh with july 4th coming up absolutely thank you so much that's great appreciate you my pleasure thank you so there it is there it was raider nation that was the whole conversation with john kingdon co-author behind the shield from 2019 while i was a member of espn central texas hopefully you enjoyed that hopefully you're enjoying your fourth of july no matter when you're listening to this early in the morning in the afternoon or maybe late in evening uh before you get ready to lay it on down and get ready to get back to the grind the next day coming up tomorrow we'll get back to calls and texts off that locked on raider podcast voicemail line again 707-654-4693 we'll have more news and notes around the NFL and of course with the silver and black and we'll have plenty of conversation as well again uh, hopefully everyone's having a great Independence Day again be safe out there with the fireworks uh, enjoy the time what you get with your family uh, remember respect what uh, Independence Day is all about and pay tribute to the country as again we live in a great country it's not perfect but it's a great country compared to well what a, a lot of other countries look like across the world so there's no better place than I'd rather be than right here in the USA so make sure that we pay that tribute to our country and thank you to all the veterans thank you to all the active servicemen as well that continue to help with uh, fight for our freedoms here in the USA so we can have great things like the Lockdown Raiders podcast, like sports radio, and like the Silver and Black. Till tomorrow, Raider Nation, take care of yourself, take care of your family, love on your family. More importantly, as always, just win, baby.